Well, I am thrilled about August, um, not only because we're starting out with some rain, but uh, because we're starting a new series just for the month of August. Um, we're going to be uh, spending four weeks, four Sundays on vertical homes. Uh, vertical homes build vertical churches, and right now we're in the process of talking a lot about wanting to be a vertical church and where all that's leading to, and yet ber- vertical homes make that up. Uh, We're going to be spending two Sundays on the topic of marriage, two Sundays on the topic of parenting. Uh, That's kind of crazy in many ways to think of just two on, but uh, just the way with the schedule fits out, we're going to do that. So we're going to like go at it. I'm going to actually be going at a little bit unique way for what I've normally done on these. But uh, when I say we're going to be talking about marriage and parenting, I all of a sudden realize there's a portion of you that I may have already been in the process of losing right at the moment. So I want to talk to you. Uh, You may be thinking that uh, I'm single, or I'm a teen, or um, marriage isn't even on my life radar right at the moment. So this month, pretty much bag that uh, for me. Um, Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, I don't have any kids. Um, I'm not thinking of having kids at this point. Or maybe even I'm an empty nester. And uh, I've been through that, so when we think of parenting, uh, this month isn't for me. Well, let me give you four reasons why this series is applicable for you as well as everybody, because I don't want to lose you on the first Sunday, okay? Four reasons why this is an important series. Number one, because through these four Sundays, you're going to be learning about your Lord. This isn't just about marriage. In fact, that's the whole thing. This isn't just about the horizontal. This is all about the vertical. And whether you're a teen, whether you're a single, uh, uh, whether you're not a parent, Uh, you are going to learn about your Lord. Secondly, because it's going to prepare you to help others. Uh, You may be put in a situation where you're able to help someone who's married or you help a parent or come alongside them or maybe as a grandparent uh, helping your family. And so it's going to be something that's going to be helpful and equipping for you. Third, because uh, you may get married someday. Uh, You may have children someday. And uh, even if you're older, when my dad had died, uh, my mom, she was like, I don't think I'm going to get remarried. And it was a few years later, and guess what? She's remarried and married a delightful man, and uh, you just never know. And so it's going to be an equipping for you as well. Fourth, because you're part of this church family, and uh, there's a together reality. And at times, sometimes there's things that we talk about that may not be exactly where I'm at right at the moment, but there's a thing of just doing it together. And so as a church family, as a faith family, we're going to be going vertical together. So what we're going to be doing is these next two Sundays is on marriage. And uh, I'm going to be keying in on two foundational passages of marriage. Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. Today is going to be Genesis 1 through 3. Marriage is all about displaying God. Next week, Ephesians 5, I'm going to bring in a few other passages as well, kind of foundational passages of marriage. But next week, it's going to be uh, marriage is all about displaying the gospel uh, in it. And uh, let me make kind of a big, bold statement here. Um, I don't really care how long you've been married or if you've been married, but if you don't understand Genesis chapter 1 through 3 and what Ephesians 5 say about marriage... Um, you don't understand biblical marriage, just straight up. And that's why these two are so foundational, and that's why I'm going to these two passages in these Sundays. Uh, Married couples, I want for you to think back to when you got married. Singles, 
I'd like for you to think ahead to, if you're interested, maybe someday I'd like to get married. Uh, think to that time, and uh, here's a question for you. Why did you get married? Or why do you want to get married? When you think about that topic, why did you get married? Uh, what was going on in your mind at the time? What were your reasons? Uh, various studies show that I've kind of brought them together into six main reasons why people get married. Uh, here they are. Uh, one, companionship. Uh, because she, because he's my best friend. I want to do life with that person in companionship. Secondly, romance. I love love. I love the feeling of love. Uh, I would like to have sexual intimacy, romance as well. Another is a household support. You know, it's two coming together and financially uh, doing life and even on the financial side and even in the household chores side of things. Fourth, because I'd like to raise a family. I'd like to have children someday is a fourth reason. Fifth is uh, escape. And this isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's a, a, it can be to escape family situations, life situations, but I could even put it to escape loneliness uh, from there. And sixth, tradition. Sometimes it's just, a, well, that's just what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that's the way it is. Um, these are all reasons for marriage. I don't necessarily have a problem with these reasons. In fact, I'd be transparent to say that probably every one of these carried some level of reality in when Karen and I got married, Drew, honey. I mean, they did. And so, uh, but that's not the issue. But I would like for you to look at the list of these, and I'd like to point out one thing. These are all horizontal. These are all horizontal. These are all about what I get out of marriage. These really are all about me. I would like companionship. I'd like romance. I'd like household support. I'd like family. I'd like to escape. I'd like tradition. And in fact, I could even carry it this way. What makes the different list of that and with that list of it is if you're a believer in Christ, what makes you any different from an atheist who's getting married, who would have some of all, or all of those same reasons? What's the difference? Well, the typical married person and the typical married, unmarried person, follower of Christ or not, views life in the horizontal, views marriage in the horizontal. The typical married person, when you think about marriage, when I, I bet when I even bring it up, you automatically are seeing the horizontal lens of it all. And the horizontal is certainly a reality in marriage. But friends, marriage is first and foremost about a vertical relationship. Marriage is first and foremost a vertical thing. And the reality straight up is we struggle thinking about it in that way. Isn't it true? I mean, married couples, isn't it true? You just, whenever we talk about marriage, we're thinking about what's going on here. And then oftentimes we tag on kind of a God thing along with it. Vertical marriages display God. Let me say it this way. I display God in my marriage when I do marriage God's way. But I can't do marriage God's way if I don't view marriage God's way. Let me say that one more time. I am to display God in my marriage. And I display God in my marriage when I do marriage God's way. But I can't do marriage God's way if I don't view marriage God's way. So here's the whole task for today. 
Today, if you came in hoping in uh, this marriage series to be able to get some nice little microwave nuggets to be able to go and apply to like, if I do this and if I do that, then we'll be happy. Uh, uh, Horizontal, horizontal, horizontal. Uh, I want for you to know today, this is what we're doing. This is it, this simple. Today, we're taking a look at the scriptures and we're gonna take a look and we're gonna see that marriage is all about a vertical thing, first and foremost. Because if we don't view it the way God views it, if we don't view it in the vertical, listen, I don't care what you do, you're not gonna be doing it vertical. So let's get the viewing of it first right, and then we'll go to the doing next Sunday. So how does God view marriage? Genesis chapter one through three. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. Let's go to the beginning. Genesis one through three, I would call it as the seminal passage Uh, of scripture on viewing marriage God's way. And let's start with Genesis 1, verse 1. You got, you open there? All right, let me ask one more time. Are you in Genesis 1? All right, let's roll, baby. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sunday school question, who created everything? (laughs) And you even said it with that kid kind of, yes, teacher. Uh, that's right. And look at this. Just scan down Genesis chapter one, verse three, and God said, verse six, and God said, verse nine, and God said, verse 11, and God said, verse 14, and God said, verse 20, and God said, verse 24, and God said, verse 26, and God said, why do I say that? (laughs) Because God said, Um, because I want to make sure right now at this moment, that we grab a hold of how absolutely stunning and amazing God is. Friends, God was not in a laboratory and he like took a bunch of stuff and he was like, oh, I'm gonna make this and I'll make that and there's the earth and there's the sun and there's the solar systems and there's all this. No, no, that's not how it happened. God literally just did this. Spoke, I don't know what uh, exactly. But out of his speaking, and kabam, everything came into being. God didn't have to take over anything that existed. God just spoke, and everything came into place. That should just set us back on our heels. This is how big and awesome God is as we start talking about this topic. It's just stunning. Well, let's read verses 26 uh, through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. You see, it's the plural thing there going on. God's not talking to the angels. Uh, God here is talking amongst the Godhead, uh, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them uh, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing and all the creepy things on the earth. Uh, Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Um, Notice the uniqueness. It's in his own image. There's nothing else in creation that's talked about in his image. Uh, I don't have the time today to get into all that's uh, around that, but we're not talking necessarily about heads and and, and fingers and, and legs and toes but there's an in his image thing. I would just ask you to consider it this for what we're talking about. It's uh, something that's an image of something. Something represents something. It's not the something, but it's something that looks like the something. It's something that looks like the original something, right? That's what an image is. 
And we're created in his image. Ultimately, we are created to bring glory to God. And he's put this uniqueness in creation within us that he's really pleased with. Verse 28, and God blessed them. Uh, That's talking about male and female. We'll see in chapter 2, Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, all that God created. Uh, Chapter 1 is the big view of what God's done here at creation. And we see here that God has created relationships. And let me just kind of uh, point out some things about here related to marriage. Uh, Essentially, uh, God created marriage. God created marriage. Marriage is a God-created thing. Do understand it's not a man-made thing. Why would a person get married? Well, that's just because of, like, tax deductions. Um, You know, who invented marriage? I mean, they've just been doing it so long. This is just like an outdated thing. No, it's not. Understand, this is a God thing. God invented marriage. It's that big of a deal. God created it. Also, God blessed it. Uh, It's a unique blessing here that's taking place here. But God blesses marriage. Third, God instructs them on marriage. He gives them a unique commission. Uh, By the way, this is a joint commission. He gives this to both of them. Uh, It talks about be fruitful and multiply. Uh, Same ideas with the animals. You can see earlier in chapter 1. But I'll put it in this context here of, of God is looking at this and he's going like, hey, Adam and Eve, I'm loving this. I'm so loving this that I want this to like be everywhere because that would give me incredible glory and incredible joy. It would please me if you did that. Now, would you agree that God could have filled the earth with like bazillions of people? Uh, not very convinced. Would you? God could have but he didn't. God creates in a way to teach and God is teaching in the way that he creates. And so here he's creating this one couple that having this unique relationship, this covenant relationship, as we see spelled out in, in, in scripture as it goes along. And yet he's, they're given this tax to go and, and more. I want more of you. God wants it to be glorified in an increasing way, not only in creation, not only in humans, but in relationships as well, as we'll see here. God instructs them, and also notice this, that he gives them a a task. He tells them to have dominion over, and by the way, this is a team dominion. This is not just a dominion over given only to Adam. It's given to both of them, and that carries the idea of know the earth and utilize it. Hey, guys, hey, team, I want for you to together. Know the earth and utilize it. They're giving that task. Four, I've touched on here. God is glorified in marriage. It brings the Godhead great glory. Look at verse 31 at the end of chapter 1. And God saw everything that he had made and behold. By the way, whenever the scripture all of a sudden gives this word behold, it's kind of like pay attention, ears perked. Uh, And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. Uh, We could translate that actually as saying it was exceedingly good. It was like way over the top, awesome, good. And God is declaring that. Now, in that, I'm just going to kind of toss this out. There's a lot of things I'd love to talk. Another day we'll teach through the beginning of Genesis here. But I think what's happening here as we see this is God has created everything. God is essentially stepping back. He's looking at all this and he's going, I, we, Trinity, we are so loving this. This is awesome. And I think he's referring to the fact that he sees everything at this time. There's no sin. There's no disorder. 
There's no imbalance. There's no lack of harmony. There's no struggle for existence. There's no disease. There's no calamities. And there's no death. You can have a lunch conversation on that. I do think it's a seven-day literal creation. By the way, I'm also going to add this. Uh, This is maybe more debated. I think he's also saying there's no fallen angels at the time. Another topic, another discussion. God is stepping back and he's looking at this and he's like, I love this. And friends, that includes marriage. That includes the relationship that he's built here at this point. So how does God view marriage in Genesis 1? Let me just summarize four things. God is the creator, founder, and designer of marriage. Uh, that He has first dibs on it. God created it, he designed it, he founded it. Uh, He's the one who put it together. Secondly, God put a blessing on the man and the woman, and that includes a blessing on their relationship together. Hey, if you're married, God is thrilled with that. God loves that relationship. Now, we'll get into that more and what that looks like this week and next week. Third, God instructs them on what to do. More on that in chapter 2. Fourth, God is just pleased with Let me summarize it this way. Genesis chapter 1, how does God view marriage? God views it as a vertical thing. It's a vertical thing. Marriage is a vertical thing. Uh, Marriage is a what? It's a vertical thing. And again, when you and I, when we just talk on marriage, when we think on marriage, when we interact on marriage together with other people, aren't we just thinking horizontal? We just so are. But today again, I'm staying in again. I'm trying to push us out and to realize, listen, friends, it's way more than that. It's way bigger than that. It's way better than that. Right now, you may be coming here and you may be in a marriage situation where you're like, Doug, you have no idea. I am so hurting right now in this marriage situation. I just want to let you know there's hope in this because God has a vertical component and a vertical design for you and that marriage. And by the way, this is not the time to be elbowing the person next to you saying, please listen up, okay? I'm talking to each of us. Marriage is a vertical thing. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Um, let's view marriage from Genesis chapter 2 and add something in here. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, Then God said, uh, by the way, chapter 2 is like a narrowing in. Chapter 1 is kind of the big picture. Genesis chapter 2 and 3, it kind of like comes in. It's a, let's take a look at tighter in on what's going on here in this relationship, okay? It's not so much consecutive timing. Uh, Verse 18, chapter 2, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Uh, I will make a helper fit for him. Let me just note here, um, I made the statement, I believe already, sometimes I get the services confused, but uh, I I think I made the statement that God creates in such a way to teach. Did I say that? And he still does. (laughs) Um, God, God creates in a way that he teaches us. And so here at this point, what's going on is God's not making this up as he goes along. And he's like, I know, let's do a sun. And then let's do an earth. And let's do this guy. Oops. Let's reorient this. That's not what's happening here. God is creating in the way that he's teaching us all about him and about this relationship. God isn't like, oh, crud, I messed up. I just put one of you. He's more doing this so that you and I understand that, listen, part of a purpose of marriage is to be an aloneness-removing person. You are to be your companion like we had in the beginning. You are to be, if you're married or you're to be married someday, you are to be someone that removes loneliness from your spouse. And God is teaching us that here. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. 
So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that was his name. Is that not crazy? So Adam's out there and the earth is like quiet because he's the only one. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Noah's Ark thing, all these animals come and he's like, cow, <laughs> peacock. Um, I, I think this cool, literally from this stand, I think it just gives ownership and God and his, his grace. And also it just shows that man is, uh, has been created with creativity. Uh, so he's naming all these, but he's kind of like, you know what? Um, you are all really neat and all kind of unique, but like, I'm so not getting into you. I just would really like someone. Is there someone out there like me? Uh, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And, uh, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place uh, with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I do think this is exactly how it happened. Verse 23, then the man said, this is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. Uh, that's the Hebrew inflection. Because she was taken out of man. Uh, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall be one flesh. First of all, God makes a declaration. It's not good that Adam should be alone. Um, he makes a helper. He makes a helper that's perfectly fit for this situation. Again, God is creating and stating in such a way that it teaches us. Perfectly fit helper. I mean, this is a team. This is designed to be a team relationship. Equals, yet complementary of each other. Um, may I say that first and foremost, she was not his hobby buddy. Um, she was first and foremost not his critic, not his boss, not his slave, not his employee, and she was not to be a diva, but she was to be a helper. She was to be a teammate uh, with a mission uh, that they both had together in this. So God declares, and then verse 19 and following, uh, God creates, and he creates Eve, and even again, he teaches in how he creates. He creates her uniquely, uh, equal from his side, uh, a helper fit for him, the perfect teammate. You know, they talk about in sports, it's like, oh man, that was such an awesome pick. It's like, yeah, so was this. This was an amazing draft right here happening. And God creates Eve, and then God instructs them. Um, there is a God-given way to do a God-designed purpose. And I want to talk about this. Uh, remember, again, God invented it. He has first dibs on it. God invented it. He can tell us how it is. And uh, let me be just really bold and straight. It doesn't matter what you and I think about marriage. It just doesn't matter. What matters is the one who created marriage and what he thinks about it and how he designed it. And our job is to be men and women that come in parallel with his thinking. Okay, so that's where we're trying to go. How does God think about marriage? Well, he gives us some amazing uh, insight here on what's going on here. Let's call it the leave, cleave, weave principle. Uh, first, leave. Marriage looks like leaving father and mother. 
Marriage looks like leaving father and mother. We see that in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And uh, remember, Adam is first here. And so leave father and mother. Well, so should the wife then and then and the kids here as well. Uh, leave. Now, by the way, leave uh, does not mean uh, I disown you, mom and dad. Neener, neener. That's not what it's talking about here. This isn't I'm spitting in your face leaving. This is a, a whole relationship is changing. Um, biblically, children, um, you are to obey and honor your parents. When you marry, you are still to honor your parents. You are not to obey your parents anymore. That relationship changes. That's a change relationship. You need to leave your parents. In fact, let me get uh, personal on this. Singles, are you preparing yourself to leave mom and dad? Maybe you're like, so Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I'll say that. Are you preparing to leave your mom and dad? And let me ask it this way as well, singles. If you have a candidate or someone at some point in time you're thinking about, I would ask this. As you consider them, are they ready to leave mom and dad? Because if they're not, um, the team thing's going to be hard. Leave. Uh, married spouses, I want to lovingly ask you, have you left mom and dad? Well, yeah, we don't live in their house anymore. No, I'm not talking just about that. I mean, have you left mom and dad? I mean, have you now come into the place where it's a new relationship? Uh, who, where, who do you go to when you have things that come up? Is it mom or dad? Uh, sometimes Karen and I hear about, I'm not saying here, but in the past we've heard about women who talk to their mom like every day about everything. Can I just say warning, warning, warning? Sometimes guys are just like running to mom or running to dad as well so quick. Can I just say warning, warning, warning? This is to be a unique relationship. This is uh, to be something that you leave. Uh, married spouses, have you left your mom and dad? Let me ask parents with married children, that includes Karen and I, are you letting your children leave? Karen and I, uh, for about five years, we were involved in ministry prior to here, were part of our job was um, we oversaw about a hundred young married couples, uh, young married families, and I'm going to say about 25% of them, uh, one of the top two problems that they had that they were wrestling through in their marriage were parents. And parents just not letting their kids leave. And parents acting like, you should obey me. What? Parents, if that's you, can I lovingly? Well, I will. I'm going to lovingly say, stop it. Because that's not the way marriage is designed. You need to let your kids leave and embrace that. In fact, we'll be talking to the last couple of weeks, the end of this month. The goal of parenting is to raise your children to leave home equipped to handle life biblically. We got that when our kids were like three and five. From the ages of three and five, we were already thinking about the time when they're going to leave home. Not like, I can't wait till they leave. More like, we have this period of time to invest in them, to prepare them and train them to get to the point to where they leave. And we need to be the kind of couple that's ready for them to leave. Um, that's, I'm getting into the parenting series. Um, leave. Parents with kids at home, are you raising your kids to leave? You may even be thinking, oh, please don't even talk about my daughter. Don't even talk about my son at this point in time in life. They're only like five. 
about marriage. No, are you preparing them to leave home? Because someday they will. And oftentimes we see couples that have really had child-centered homes and not marriage-centered homes, and then the child leaves and they have no relationship as couples. I want to encourage you uh, to leave. That's God's design. You can see it right there, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Uh, Secondly, cleave. Notice, not only just leave father and mother, but uh, uh, that relationship changes, but it changes into a different relationship. Hold fast to his wife. Cleave. Marriage looks like holding fast to your spouse. Velcro yourself to your spouse. Velcro it. Uh, Marriage is not a singles lifestyle with a ring. Okay? That's not the case. Marriage is a whole new relationship that takes place. And that means some of the single life has to go. It has to change. A marriage is not living your hobby life or your shopping life or your techie life or your sports life or your living the scene life like you were a single but now married and able to have sex. That's not what this is about. A marriage is a new relationship. It's your most important relationship. It's not just helping your household function better. It's a new relationship in God's eyes. Marriage is a cleaving to my spouse life. Let me give you a way to help with this. A TPT, temporary, permanent, temporary. Uh, This is a picture of me over here on the left when I was born and I had a big head. Um, Jerry and Janice were my parents. My, My dad's with the Lord now. My mom is still alive and uh, had Don, Dave, and Doug. I'm the youngest, but uh, because for illustration purposes, I'll just put me in here. And when mom and dad had me, uh, I'll say this even though uh, to this day I'm 50 now, my mom still calls me her son. (laughs) Why, what were you guys saying? The baby. (laughs) That hurts. Uh, but I will just say, honestly, I am her favorite. <laughs> no, uh, no, but in it, temporary, permanent, temporary. Um, uh, when I was born to my parents, and I still call my mom, and uh, all that, she still calls me son and all that, and yet um, there's a temporariness to that. There's a time where you have that child, and, and then there's a time where they move out of the home, and that's why I was saying prepare for that. We'll talk again about that at the end of the month. Then when uh, I saw this girl in the cafeteria and in a classroom walking in Minnesota, and you could tell she was not from Minnesota because she was, had a Farrah Fawcett hairdo and all this kind of stuff. And it's like a girl like that doesn't come from Minnesota. She was from L.A. And uh, I was like, she's all right. And uh, I ended up marrying her and... Uh, coming to find out she's a follower of Christ as well. And we jumped into a permanent relationship, a permanent relationship. And and that's the kind of relationship where um, I'm still my mom's son, but I'll say this first and foremost, I'm my wife's husband. Then out of that, uh, God blessed us with two kids, uh, Luke and... uh, I almost said Luke and Kayla. Kayla is Luke's wife. That's why. Luke and Emily. And then we have uh, two uh, in-law kids as well. And it's just a blessing. And yet they got married. And it's really, really cool now. And it shows the temporary reality of our relationship with them. I still call them Luke, my son, and Emily, my daughter. So blessed by that. But it's temporary in a certain capacity. You see what I'm saying? Um, can I ask you, couples, are you thinking this way? 
see, this is, helps to put together uh, uh, holds on to what cleave looks like. Have you left mom and dad? Are you now holding fast in the permanent relationship? Your home is to be a marriage-centered relationship, not a child-centered relationship. Because eventually that child is going to leave home and they're going to go out on their own. And you want for them to be able to establish a permanent relationship if the Lord would have that uh, with someone down the road. And you want to be someone who gets the process, don't you? Don't you? Yeah. Leave, cleave. And then third here, the text tells, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's a weave thing. Uh, one flesh. Yes, it's, it's, it's a physical reality, uh, physically, but it's also emotionally, socially, spiritually. It's one flesh. It's a one fleshness. It's the kind of thing back in my business days, we used to do some welding of materials. And so you'd take like a piece of stainless steel, another piece of stainless steel, and you would weld them together. And you would have that weld line and you could tell that those were two pieces. But kind of as an illustration, essentially what's supposed to happen is, is when you come together and, and you're married, uh, you kind of look like one, but you have a big weld there, just illustration purposes. And yet as time goes on, uh, the goal is, is you want to uh, have that weld seam get ground down and that's through life and, and through trials and through blessings and polished out so that eventually what we really want to have is we want to have a one flesh, a one stainless steel looking marriage. Two becoming one. It's a weave togetherness. It's a one flesh. How does God view marriage? Genesis chapter 1. God views it as a vertical thing. It's hugely important to him. Secondly, marriage is a team thing. Genesis chapter 2. I think Genesis chapter 2 just gives this beautiful picture of the details of what's happening in this. And this is a team that's formed together. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Let me read verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, uh, the serpent did, Satan did, um, Ma'am, <laughs> did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you uh, touch it lest you die. She's exactly right. Way to be stating God's words in this situation. Verse 4, but. But the serpent said to the woman, uh, you will not surely die. Uh, for God knows that you will eat of it, that uh, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was uh, uh, to be desired, it was enticing to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate and disobeyed the Lord. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Dude, where's the team? Uh, I mean, uh, can I just say, you know, this is a passage a lot of times that we get, you know, oh, the woman ate first and all that kind of ridiculousness. As a man, can I just say, dude, Adam, she like just gave me food <laughs> and I was just to eat it, so I ate. Well, why didn't he step up to the plate here? I mean, you're a team in this. No, can't do that. Can't do that. No, no, no. 
But he just takes it and shoves it down his face, verse 7. And then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Hmm, very interesting. Who did he go looking for first? Adam. Here God goes looking for Adam. Uh, we'll talk about that next, some next week. Uh, Men, our neck is on a chopping block first for the relationship. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? By the way, isn't it interesting that God uses a question here? Uh, we talked in the John series about how often Jesus used question that draws out the heart. Did God know where he was? Uh, yeah. And Adam said to him, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Question. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Question. God knew all this. And then the man said, the woman, <laughs> the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me tree. She, she made me eat it, God. <laughs> I'm so innocent. Um, Men, we can be really lazy and uh, blame-shifting. And the Lord God said to the woman, uh, Ma'am, uh, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent! He deceived me and I ate it. Well, uh, let me just say this. Uh, God understands and sees that marriage is a tough thing. Marriage is a tough thing. You see, sin came into the picture... And um, things got hard. If you're not married, I want for you to know, marriage is like the hardest relationship ever. Ever. And oftentimes, uh, I just kind of ache for singles who are thinking about getting married and they're just living in fluffy land. And it's just like, he's so divine. She's just so awesome. And we're all like... You don't have a clue. <laughs> so can I even seriously, singles and kids, can I just say be careful how critical you are and parent or parents because uh, marriage is a tough thing and God understands that because of sin. Uh, there's a deceiver that seeks to destroy the very relationship that God has put into place here. And he comes in and he's uh, trying to destroy the relationship and, and there's this twisting of what God said and and uh, who God is, and then there's this disobedience by Adam and Eve to God's stated standards. There's this hiding and covering up and blame shifting, and there's consequences of sin. And it's, those consequences are stated first to the serpent, 14 to Satan, then to the woman, 16, then to 17 to Adam. I just, because of time, I want to note one thing in 16 that kind of points out the reality that God understands it's, that marriage is tough. Because uh, very end of 16, this is a passage that uh, I think, uh, understandably so, because of a lot of our English translations, uh, uh, the way we get it, I don't think we get it correctly here. It states at the end of 16, it says, Your desire, speaking to the woman, shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And we get this idea here that it's kind of like, uh, because of a result of this, she's just going to be like all crazy, like, you're so awesome, and he's going to be like, I love ruling you. Uh, let me bring in some reality here in uh, original language. Actually, this desire that's being talked about, and you, you shall desire 
uh, your desire shall be for your husband. It's a negative connotation here. Uh, This is really talking about God is saying, listen, here's the fact. You are going to have a desire. You're going to have an urge. You are going to want to control him. You are going to want to manipulate him, and you are going to want to master him. You, in fact, ma'am, are going to want to rule over your husband. And on top of that, he, he's going to want to do the same. And so now this, this fantastic relationship that has been put into place by God himself, now because of sin, is now not a team anymore. It's a team that's competing against each other. Hey, couples, do you now kind of are like starting to see where it's like, oh my word, do I compete for positions far too often in this marriage? I want what I want. This should be what I want. Do you see where that's coming from? You see, it goes all the way back here. God is literally saying, you guys, you women, you're going to have this desire. You're going to have this urge just to manipulate, to get on top, to have control, to be the one to get what you want. And that's not the way I designed it. We're going to be talking about that next week because a marriage relationship is to be a picture of the gospel, Ephesians chapter 5. So how does God view marriage? God views marriage as a vertical thing. It really pleases him. God views marriage um, here as a team thing. And God views marriage as a tough thing. He knows that. One of the things I love about the reality of God telling us all about what's happened with sin and even what's going on in the relationship between Adam and Eve is that God never bags marriage. When God created everything, he already knew what was going to happen all the way through and all the way to the end. God knew that sin was going to come into the picture, and yet God still put marriage into the reality of it. God is still pleased with it. And in fact, in some ways, you might even be able to say because of sin coming into the picture, it provides even almost more of an opportunity to be be able to display God in my marriage. How is that? Because you need grace to be able to make it. You need to be able to be one who even when you want to sin, you want to be controlled, you want your way. Listen, the reality is it's not about me. It's about the Lord and it's about grace and it's about him. It's about her. And I want for this marriage to be something that brings grand delight before the Lord's eyes. God knows that marriage is tough for us, yet he's still all about it. He's always been about it. He will always be about it. But you can't have a vertical marriage without grace. John Piper says, in marriage, you live hour by hour in glad dependence on God's forgiveness and justification and promised future grace. And you bend it toward your spouse hour by hour as an extension of God's forgiveness and justification and promised help to you. Marriage is a vertical thing. And a vertical marriage displays the Lord. If you've been caught up in the horizontalness of marriage, I want to love on us enough today to call you out of that. I'm not saying the horizontal is certainly not a serious big component of it. But I'm saying if you're stuck in the horizontalness of it 
if you're just stuck in what he's doing or what she's doing. Because I'm just going to tell you what, as we take a look next week as well, even if she or he is not wanting to take this vertical, guess what? First Peter chapter 3, you're to take it vertical. You are responsible. Your verticalness of how you live your life and how you live your marriage is not dependent upon. It sure does help when you have a spouse that wants to be about that, doesn't it? But even when you don't, that does not take you out of the call to be vertical and to view your marriage as vertical. Even if you are married to someone who hates Christ, you still, 1 Peter chapter 3, you are to be a woman, you are to be a man that takes it as something that's honoring to the Lord in how you handle the situation. So today, I want to call us all out of the horizontal. Again, I'm not saying that the horizontal is irrelevant. I'm saying that the vertical is primary. Are you thinking vertical about your marriage? If not, and if you haven't been, I would encourage you to spend some time with the Lord and repent and confess it. God, I've been so stuck on the horizontal that the reality is I've bagged you and I've lost sight of you. Hey, if you have a marriage that's going and you're working on the vertical together and you are seeing the Lord in this thing and you are working as a team, can I ask you today, praise God and keep at it. Let's pray. Lord, Today was about uh, not getting into the nitty gritties, the practical uh, uh, step one, step two, step three. Instead, today was about seeking to get the right thinking about marriage. And Lord, as a, as, as a married man and um, as working with married people, uh, the reality is, as you know, that we struggle to... Uh, to keep you focused in the whole marriage thing and we get so caught up in the horizontal. Far too often we've just left you on the side by name only. And Lord, I would pray if there's any husbands in here, any wives in here today, have been in a place and they're just caught up. They're just so stuck on what's going on in the horizontal that the fact of the matter is that they have basically been rejecting you and your sovereign work in their lives. I pray that they would just confess it here. God, our marriages are to be something to bring you massive delight. They are to be something to to display the reality of who you are. You are set apart. You are holy. We are to be set apart unlike others. You are God of grace. We are to be people. We are to be husbands and wives of grace. You are God of truth. We are to be husbands and wives of your truth. help us 
God? You please help us to be burdened for the verdict. In the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.